name's Eileen Townsend, and I'm the editor of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor, a trade magazine for the forest products industry that's based out of the Adirondack Mountains in New York State. This is the first episode of our new podcast. On this podcast, we're going to talk to people throughout the industry, loggers, truckers, sawmill operators and owners, foresters, about the day-to-day issues that affect your lives. In this episode of the Northern Logger Podcast, we're talking about harvest notification. Harvest notification, as you're probably aware, just means that a logger or forester has to alert a state or local regulatory body whenever they're preparing to do a timber harvest. So, like many of the regulations throughout the industry, harvest notification varies widely from state to state, or even from municipality to municipality. Currently, New York State, where our magazine is based, doesn't have any harvest notification practices in place, but the state is currently trying to change that, and they've proposed legislation that may pass as soon as April of 2018. After speaking with different folks throughout the Northeast, both in the field and as well as from the offices of the state government, uh, it's clear that harvest notification can have a huge impact on operations, resources, and their use of their time. At the same time, many operations appreciate how the data collected from harvest notification can inform their ability to look at and understand the market in their state. Chris Cassidy has been purchasing standing timber since 1999 in the state of Connecticut. So I'm a procurement forester for whole forest products out of Pomfret, Connecticut. Um, I work in eastern Connecticut and Rhode Island, and I purchase standing timber from private landowners most of the time, and then supervise and coordinate uh, the, the timber harvest. So we have logging crews that work for us, and I make sure that, uh, you know, the landowner's goals are, are met in the field and, and carried out in the woods and, and create uh, a healthy forest and, and, and some money for the landowners and some jobs for loggers and, and keep the mill supplied with wood. He explained the highly localized system of harvest notification in Connecticut. Well, I've certainly seen some changes in the area of harvest notification and and how we do things here in Connecticut over the course of my career. Um, Right now, the state of Connecticut views forestry as agricultural, which is a a great thing. And the state has a very good... um, you know, viewpoint of, of forestry and how it's permitted as a use of right for landowners to do so. And as long as they're doing it properly, then it should be good. But the problem is that the the jurisdiction for all logging jobs falls on the individual town's inland wetlands agency. In each town in Connecticut, we have 169 towns, and each town has their own inland wetlands and watercourse agency who's been charged to oversee and and basically provide judgment on these um, forestry acts that we have. So basically we have 169 towns and 169 different views as to how this should be regulated, so to speak. Um, A few years ago, the the Connecticut professional timber harvesters, TIMPRO we call it, came up with kind of a generic form, uh, notification of timber harvest form that 
you know, you fill in all the details of the harvest and you provide a map. And I've been using that with every town. Some towns, you know, say, oh, this is great. Exactly, exactly what we're looking for. And it's a phone call and they say you're good to go. Some towns require you to present it at a town meeting or an inland wetlands and water course meeting. And they answer their questions and some want to drag it out for two months. Some can act on it right away right at that time some want to have site walks on the job so it's very uh very dependent as to the town that you're working in depending on how involved the permit process can be um i think it definitely could be more efficient in the sense that if we had a statewide you know system in, in place then there would be some you know common criteria associated with every job. And the problem in the gray area that arises is that we put a notification process in for in the Wetlands Commission. A lot of times they lump you in the same uh, activity as building or putting in a subdivision or, or creating roads and, and overlooking the fact that this is a temporary disturbance and an agricultural activity. So the you know, misconception of what we're doing in the forest makes it very difficult to sometimes convey the lack of impact that we're going to have. Um, and that, I think, has been, you know, the biggest challenge that we've had is convincing some of these inland wetlands and watercourse agencies exactly what we're doing out there. Uh, you know, we're not paving roads and building houses, and we should be held to different standards than than the builders and, and another land use thing. So I think if we did have some sort of, you know, a state forester overseeing the jobs, checking off the jobs, then it probably would be a little more efficient um, and definitely easier to track what it's going to take to get these jobs permitted. And a lot of the the hangups that we have are, like I said, is because the people that are basically providing judgment on these permits don't know a heck of a lot about forestry and logging and you know, are more concerned about the noise disturbance and, and disturbing the neighbors and that type of stuff right. that, that really can hang things up a little bit. You know, the inland wetlands and water course commissions are all volunteer based jobs and they're controlling a very big industries. So I would say that if I was really having a lot of hangups and issues of people, you know, overly regulated these things, I would have a little more trouble with it. But to be perfectly honest with you, I rarely, if ever, have issues getting my jobs permitted. It's just a matter of how much time goes into it. As we said at the top of the show, New York State is currently proposing a harvest notification bill, though it would be different than Connecticut's in several respects. For one, it would be overseen by the state through the DEC's lands and forests. Craig Yoakum is one of the many loggers in the forest products sector who has big questions about the change. Yep, uh, Craig Yoakum, and I work for myself. Uh, My company is Craig Yoakum Logging. I've done that for 35 years, and uh, I also do some other things. I'm also a town councilman down here, so I'm an elected official. I'm on the Empire State Forest Products Association Board, past president of New York Logger Training, trustee of New York Lumberman's Insurance Trust Fund, and some other local boards down here. Um, Kind of the go-to of what's going on in a connection between 
or all the different groups. He answered my questions on the proposal and how it impacts his work, and he also voiced some of his concerns about the new proposed regulation. Um, as it stands right now, the harvest notification, um, uh, it's just another layer of government. We, you know, I'm not exactly certain what the state is looking for on it. They have been very vague. I do know that other states that have had, um, that do have a harvest notification are tied to a, um, uh, a property tax reduction. Um, so it's kind of a notification to the state that, you know, okay, uh, an individual or a corporation is selling timber and um, uh, kind of kind of puts them on notice that, um, uh, uh, you know, we're going to have to pay some taxes or we got some money coming in. That's pretty common. A lot of other states that have the notification also have a logger licensing that we don't have. It's kind of gone with it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the state's been very vague um, uh, with their harvest notification. They haven't really said what they're really looking for or why they're looking for it. So the, the concern gets to be Mission Creep. You know, what it starts out being and what it's going to be at the end can be two different things. So being a small business owner, it's always a challenge, and especially in New York, it's always a challenge. You ask yourself, you know, what is the gain and, and what is the loss? Um, I haven't seen... I can't see anything that's going to be a gain. It's going to be more paperwork, um, uh, potentially uh, licensing, uh, potentially something else. So it's all, all I can't see any positive in it right now um, other than potentially some transparency. But um, we haven't seen exactly what the state's going to want for the thing. Um, uh, Some... One person I talked to the other day wanted me to um, uh, brought up a great concern is that uh, whenever there's a regulation, um, there's a certain segment that is in total compliance all the time. And there's a cost to doing that. Um, on top of paperwork, there's some um, uh, huge amount of inefficiencies. And there's other people um, in, the, in the industry um, that are a little less serious about following regulations. So those people are still your competition. And um, if they have don't have the same cost that you have, it tends to um, create a huge, um, I want to say, a huge difference in your profitability. And, and at the end of the day, we're all, we're all in this together, but, you know, you have to have the same regulatory expenses as the next guy Otherwise, um, the system tends to break down, and the and the good actors um, tend to tend to disappear, and the bad actors um, tend to prosper on it. Robert Davies of the New York State Lands and Forests within the DEC championed the change, toting harvest notification benefits and focusing on the data that the state and business communities will be able to use once harvest notification is in place. Well, currently there is no notification requirements in New York state. Um, So we really don't have any knowledge 
on uh, what harvests are occurring, what harvests, uh, forest harvests are occurring across the state. We don't have any geographic information in terms of locations of those harvests, uh, the size of the harvest, the types of harvests. So uh, it's a lot of very practical uh, general information that you would think the state forestry office would have that we don't. So what we are proposing as part of the governor's uh, proposal is to institute a harvest notification for any commercial harvests, 10 acres or more across the state. And it would, uh, it's not a permit, it's a notification. We know that there are several other states in the Northeast that have similar types of provisions. Um, they seem to work very well. I've talked myself with many forest practitioners uh, in other states about their experiences uh, in working with a harvest notification requirements and it seems to work. And it provides some valuable information, not only for a forest resource agency like we are, but for the industry. The industry relies heavily on that sustainable forest resource being available uh, for their industry and for the economy. And the local rural communities also depend heavily on those, those jobs in that economy. So we're hoping that this kind of information would be valuable uh, for a wide specter of, of stakeholders. So you said you've seen this work well in other states. Do you have an example yeah. of a state that you admire? Well, I think our neighbor in, in Vermont, they have harvest notification, and it seems to work very well to the point where you really never even hear about it. <laughs> That's, to me, a really good example of it's working well because you're not hearing about it. Uh, we've got other states, such as the state of West Virginia, where every commercial timber harvest, you actually have to get a permit. We're not talking about that here in New York. So we're really following the Vermont-type model, where it's a simple notification, where we ask very practical questions that not only provide some valuable information for, for us as the state forestry office, but I think could be valuable information for the industry. And we're hoping it could be really valuable information for the private forest landowners themselves, because we hope that it gets them thinking about certain things. Like one of the questions we would like to include is, did you enter into a contract for this harvest? A lot of harvests across the state happen with no contract. It's a simple handshake. And the landowners, unfortunately, many times end up very disappointed because what happens on the ground was not what they thought they were shaking their hand on. So we ask a question. Did you enter a contract? Hopefully that would get them to ask that question of themselves. Well, maybe I should have a contract. Uh, we ask, did you use a forester? As you probably know, most of the harvesting that occurs across the state happens without a forester being involved. Um, we think that our forestry 
applied sustainably and scientifically would be much better served if they had a forester involved. So we asked, did you use a forester? Hopefully that would maybe get the private landowner to think, well, maybe I should reach out and find a forester. Uh, so it's some questions, very simple questions. It would take five minutes to fill out a harvest notification, literally, and, uh, and provide some very basic practical information that really every state should have in regards to a resource as important as our forests are in New York State. Davies looks to Vermont as an excellent model for harvest notification practice. One major difference is that Vermont only requires notification for chips that are headed to one of two biomass plants. Sam Lincoln of Vermont explained why a minimalistic notification system has been working in the Green Mountain State. We don't have an overall harvest notification in Vermont. We have uh, harvesting can occur at will in Vermont and the only time where notification applies is in whole tree operations uh, that are going to uh, har- do chip harvest. Like it's called chip harvest notification. And we have two biomass power plants in Vermont, McNeil Generating Station in Burlington and Rygate Power Station in Rygate on the Connecticut River. And as part of their permits, when, they were, when those plants were built and permitted, it was established in permit conditions that they had to uh, the, fish, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, which is a sister department here where I work in the Agency of Natural Resources, the, the Fish and Wildlife Department uh, gets notified if there is a logging contractor that wishes to deliver chips to one of those two biomass power plants. And they have um, two weeks to review the notification and the harvest plan to ensure that it is not going to impact uh, natural communities, uh, deer wintering habitat is, is really one of the primary things that's looked at, but they have a whole host of criteria that they review. Um, and that if, if they are denied a uh, harvest notification permit, then they either can't continue with the harvest or the wood has to be, uh, the chips have to be transported to uh, uh, a biomass plant out of state. Um, if and and quite often there's a each each one of the biomass plants has uh, forestry staff that are the liaison between the, the landowners and foresters and logging contractors and the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And quite often the liaison, the, the procurement forester, will understand uh, adjustments that may need to be made. Uh, sometimes the Fish and Wildlife Department will respond with. Um, requesting changes in the harvest plan um, to address certain, again, natural communities or uh, habitat on the site. Um, as, uh, speaking from experience as a logging contractor, there's um, times where that process works incredibly quickly and you can get a response back the same day, but there's other times where it goes the full two weeks and uh, if the if the department doesn't respond within two weeks, the, the applicant is automatically granted the uh, permit by default, um, which I've seen all ends of the spectrum occur. And where that becomes an issue um, is if a logging contractor is nearly finished the site um, and they have a neighbor that comes along and says, you know, they don't have any idea of the logging contractor schedule. And they say, well, you're right here and set up would you like to work on my land next door? 
and uh, everything else might be in place, but if they need to get a chip harvest notification, uh, do, a, do a, get a chip harvest permit through notification, um, sometimes that can take uh, up to two weeks. And with only a certain amount of workable days available in a year's time, that, that can add up quickly. So there, there are t- times where it works out well and times where it doesn't. Notification was proposed in the Vermont legislature two years ago, and uh, our department, the commissioner of the department I work in, was asked to provide a report to the legislature that was sent to them in January of 2017. And it weighs the pros and cons of notification, and that comes down on the side of recommending against because of some of the logistical challenges, uh, the, the cost of implementation, and if we had that money to spend, we, we estimated that it would cost about uh, $235,000 to uh, launch a notification system and then another $180,000 a year to maintain it. And the department said if we had that kind of money, we'd rather invest it elsewhere in, in, uh, um, in, the, in the forest economy and our staff. An ongoing concern with harvest notification lies in the fact that most form filling takes time to complete and even more time if there's an approval step included. As we heard Lincoln say, there's a fear that companies who abide the harvest notification process will be less competitive than those who skirt the law because of lost time and consequently lost money. Maine has so far circumnavigated that issue by requiring all mills to check harvest notifications before they take wood from a delivery truck. Mallory Bussell, a forester at Prentice and Carlisle, explains how that works. So in Maine, we, we have a form. Um, it's a little two-page um, document where you fill out. It has information that talks, uh, asks for the landowner's information, their name, address, contact info. Um, it has, asks for information about the harvester, the forester, if there is one on the job, and also the designated agent if they have one. And then it goes on to ask questions about um, location of the lot. Um, it asks questions regarding the uh, specifics accord, like to main rules. So if you own more than 100 acres, certain laws apply in Maine. If you own less than 100 acres, certain laws apply. It asks questions specific to those laws. And then it asks about water quality, um, the water quality laws. So it asks if your town that your municipality that you're in whether it's in statewide standards or not, and you check the boxes for which law applies to that particular town. You also have to include a location map um, when you send it in so that they can come in and um, check on your harvest at any time if they have any questions about what you're up to. In Maine, you're not even allowed to um, bring wood to a mill or a log landing facility, a log yard facility, without a harvest notification. So you have to have one so that they can track everything. So even if you're, there are a few exemptions, like if you're doing it for personal use for, as a landowner or if you're just uh, clearing a space for a house lot construction. Um, but other than that, you have to have it so they can track it. It seems to work really smooth. You have to submit it. Uh, it has to be in the mail before you start the harvest. And you have to have correct information. If you miss a section or you... Um, skip something, they'll send it back. It has to be completed correctly. You have to have a signature from each party, so the landowner has to sign it, your logger has to sign it, forester, etc. 
and uh, then they'll send you a, a verification form back just saying that they received it. It also helps because they the main forest service also um, publishes a report every year and it's for the prior year so it'd be like this year they published 2016's stumpage report so they can compile all of the information from harvest notifications um and they can actually you can see what stumpage prices were in different counties it's summarized by the county level by the forest product you can see where prices were in 2016. Yeah, so at the end of the year, they'll send out a uh, survey to each landowner that submitted a harvest notification, and you'll either have a short form or a long form, and they'll ask you different questions, and that's how they acquire their, their stumpage price information. There, It does add an added cost, I guess, um, if you're going to be filling out those surveys that they send to the landowners, because um, at the end of the year, if you've worked with however many landowners, if you help your landowners fill out those surveys, which is pretty typical, um, that is some extra time added on. But to initially just to fill out the form, it doesn't take more than 20 minutes, less than that. I, I don't think you could get away with uh, doing anything illegally with the system that they have now just because you they you have to have a identification when you go to the mill facility. Unless somebody's like misrepresenting the information on those forms, um, that'd be the only way you think you could get around that it seems to be very well received from the landowner community they there's a perceived sense of uh, um, security knowing that things are being tracked and that um, if they had a question the forest service could look back through records on their harvest and they'd be able to answer more questions so i think it brings more of a sense of accountability to our industry the Forest Service would be the one enforcing all the timber harvesting laws, so you'd be at their mercy when you uh, don't follow the regulations. As harvest notification developments arise in New York and in other states, we at the Northern Logger will keep you abreast. If you have something to say about how harvest notification affects your work, please email me at eileen at northernlogger.com. This has been your editor, Eileen Townsend. Thanks again for listening to the first ever Northern Logger podcast. Just like our print publication, this is a great way for you to get important information about the industry. But now you can listen from the cab of your truck or the cab of your feller buncher. If you like the podcast, do me a favor and send this web link to coworkers and friends so that the podcast can reach new listeners. If your coworkers or friends are new to podcasts, that's okay. In this month's issue of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor, we included a simple guide to subscribing to the podcast. Tune in next month to hear more about the logging community.